We are at our last question. Am I committed to godly sexuality? I know that anytime we start talking about LGBTQIA plus issues, it is highly sensitive. We need to be really good at clinging tightly to the truth that we find in God's word while at the same time loving people exceptionally well. We are usually good at one or the other. We need to be good at both. I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer. And this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. Am I committed to godly sexuality? This is our last and final question that we are presenting to students, to ourselves, to answer. And I want to make sure that we are aware that it is coinciding with the previous five episodes. It's all building off each other. And we're not just coming at this question isolated from everything else. We are coming at this question based on the progression of other questions that we've asked through where we get our truth and all the way to what do we think about Jesus. And, and we come to this question because it's important to ask an answer for ourselves that if we are answering all these other questions, how are we approaching sexuality and identity in our lives? This is definitely the most controversial and intense topic that we will cover in this six-part mini-series that we're doing on Foundations of Faith for Students. And as you listen to this, no doubt across our audience, we've got lots of different understandings and beliefs. We understand that. We've made it clear in the past here on the Thought Factory that we have what we call a traditional biblical view of marriage and sexuality. That God in Genesis 126, when he said God created them in his image, male and female, he created them. We stand on that standard of truth that comes from the Bible. And if you're listening to this and you go, well, how do we know that the Bible is reliable? Well, part two of this miniseries, we tackled that very question. Where does the truth come from? And so if you haven't heard that, but again, all the previous episodes that you mentioned, Jason, they're not absolutely, um, it's not absolute that you have to listen to all of them, but it's very, very helpful because as you stated, Michelle, in this series, we're going to listen to Michelle Rewa here speak before a group uh, of live students in the summer of 2021 at NTS camp. But as she was speaking this particular session that we're about to hear, it was built upon the foundation of some previous statements, some previous understandings and approaches that were laid out to help us know that we're standing on a solid foundation to answer this very, very important and timely question, especially in our day here working with students. And this is an episode that I want to reiterate that feelings doesn't equal truth. And Michelle does the same thing, that just because we feel something doesn't make it true. And so to come at a, a topic like this with reason and logic is important because we allow this topic out of all of them to really 
get at us emotionally. And we feel this way and, and then we, we react emotionally. And, and we, I encourage you to listen to this audio with Michelle and how she handles it, that it is, it is important to not let your feelings rise up and then you're reacting in that feeling but instead just to listen to what she has to say and how she's saying it and her heart behind it because she presents truth, reason, and logic. And this is one of those episodes that we have gotten more requests than any other audio because leaders of students are wanting to answer this question or have students answer this question in a way that is God honoring. As many of you as youth workers working with students, you might be in the vocation of youth ministry, you might be a volunteer, you might be a parent. Here's what I know about a lot of people right now working with students is that there's a fear that I need to say the exact right thing about this topic. And so if I can't say the exact right thing in the right way at the right time, I'm just not going to say anything. And let me just address that for a minute. As we think about this topic, number one, if you're not sure how to address it, what you're about to hear is going to give you some incredible information when you address this topic. And if you have not, there's a couple ways here. Take the information you learn here. There's obviously lots of great resources out there, but this is one of them. Take this information as a platform or a resource for you to present it or share it directly with students you know, parents. Share it in your networks of other youth workers or youth pastors and on different social media pages, wherever. We understand this is a controversial topic, and we know that. But I think the worst thing we could do right now is to not say anything. And that is, Jason, one of the prevailing things I see out there. I'm thinking in particular of a church that I know of where the youth pastor came to me and said, I'm not sure what to do in this situation when it comes to sexuality in my students. And I asked this person, tell me about your situation. What they said to me was, and this is actually... One of my former students as a youth pastor that was now working as a, a vocational youth pastor in a church. And this person said to me, well, I had a student come up to me and ask me, what, what does the Bible say? What does God say? What's the view of sexuality? And they went to the senior pastor of the church and said, how do I respond to this? And the senior pastor, Jason, said this, don't address it. Don't say anything. Do not answer that question. And this youth pastor was very frustrated with that response and went back to the student and said, I can't really answer that question. And I think that is the absolute worst way to respond to this question. And I think there's arguments against the Bible and against the faith because of this topic of homosexuality, identity, transgender, because the misunderstanding of the laws of the Bible. And so Michelle walks through the different aspects of the laws and the ones that remain and the ones that we should look at, the ones that are characteristics of God. And, and so this is even one of those episodes that by understanding some of the, the history and the, the layout of the land of biblical times, of the reasons for the laws that were in existence and what ones should we follow nowadays is very helpful, not only for this topic, for multiple topics of our Christian faith, but I think particularly this one. So Michelle Rewa, 
here in this session, live in the summer of 2021 at NTS camp in front of a group of students addresses this question, am I committed to godly sexuality? Here we go. We are at our last question. Am I committed to godly sexuality? I know that anytime we start talking about LGBTQIA plus issues, it is highly sensitive. So I am going to be careful and respectful with my words as I share truth with you this morning. And I'm going to challenge you right now to handle this issue with maturity and care because you don't know what the people around you or the person sitting next to you is going through. We need to be really good at clinging tightly to the truth that we find in God's word while at the same time loving people exceptionally well. We are usually good at one or the other. We need to be good at both. I want to talk about a couple of words with you this morning as we start, okay? There's lots of words that, that we use to describe Jesus, and I'm sorry if the board is hard for some of you to see. Um, the first word I want to talk about is this word, Savior. This is a good word, right? This is a word that makes us feel good, that reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. It makes us want to lift our hands. We sing this word. We pray this word. We feel really good about this word. This is a comfort word. This is a great word. There's this other word for Jesus. King. And at first, this is a good word, too. This is kind of like, my dad can beat up your dad, kind of a word. This is a good word. But the longer we sit with this word, sometimes it can become uncomfortable. See, when I say that Jesus is the king, I'm also acknowledging that I'm not. This word implies obedience. This word implies submission. And committing to Jesus should have an influence on how I think and how I act. Yesterday, we talked about the law, the law of the Old Testament, the 600-plus laws for God's people. There were basically three categories of law, okay? The first category of law was the ceremonial law, or some people would call it the temple law or the sacrificial law because it was about ceremony and temple and sacrifices. How big the temple should be and what it should be built out of and what the priest should do and what the priest should eat and what the priest should wear and who should feed the priests and what the sacrifices should be without defect, without defect, without defect. And also part of the ceremonial law were the cleanliness codes, what you were or weren't allowed to eat and certain bodily functions that prevented you from going to the temple at a certain time. You can look it up later. You had to be clean to be in God's presence, to go to the temple. But when Jesus came, 
Jesus made you clean. When Jesus became the final perfect sacrifice, Jesus made you clean. You became the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so the ceremonial law may have good principles that we might want to apply in our lives, but we don't follow them like line by line anymore because of Jesus. Second kind of law was the civil law. The civil law was kind of the governmenty stuff, you know. God's people all lived in one nation in one place. They needed rules for governing. So this was like, how do we deal with crime? How do we punish people? Who makes those decisions? How do we deal with divorce? How do we deal with the poor? How do we help the orphans? Government kind of stuff. And when Jesus came, he made it an opportunity for anyone, anywhere to be part of God's kingdom. So God's people don't all live in one place, in one nation anymore. God's people are scattered all over the world. And so you don't follow the civil laws of the Old Testament, though there might be some good principles in there. You follow the civil laws of the United States of America because that's where you live. And if you move to another country someday, you will follow their civil laws. The civil laws are no longer applying directly to us as Christians, as God's people, because of Jesus. The third kind of law was the moral law. What I do, how I act, how I treat people, how I behave. And when Jesus came, he consistently upheld the moral law. Now I want to switch gears for you on you for a second because when we talk about LGBTQ issues, we're always also talking a little bit about identity, right? So I want to suggest to you this morning that there is a difference between who I am and how I behave. So let's say the part of me struggles with greed. And I'll admit, there have been times in my life when this has been a struggle for me. Maybe this is just part of who I am. Maybe I was always that kid at the daycare who took all the other kids' toys away from them. Maybe I was an only child and my parents just showered me with attention and affection. It was always all about me. And as I went through school, I was really successful. And so I got a really good job and I start making lots of money. I don't make lots of money. But let's say with all of my big money, I have the best house, I have the nicest car, I wear the best clothing, I get the most expensive haircut, I go on the most elaborate vacations, and I eat in the nicest restaurants, and it is all about me. And the world says, good for you, you do you, you work hard, you play hard, you do whatever you have to do to make you happy, and all those things make me happy. And then I meet Jesus, and as I'm reading in Jesus' word in the Bible, and as I'm spending time in community with other believers, and as I'm getting good teaching, I find out that Jesus wants me to be generous. I don't want to be generous. Why should I be generous? All that money that I make, it's all about me. And Jesus says, I want you to be generous, and I say, I don't want to be generous. And Jesus says, I want you to be generous. And because I have made Jesus my king, 
even though I don't want to, I start practicing, I start behaving this way. And maybe, maybe this is an issue, a struggle for me every time I get a paycheck for the rest of my life. Or maybe as I practice it, it becomes easier. Or maybe it goes through an ebb and a flow. Or maybe at some point, God heals me from my greed. And it's not an issue at all. I don't know what the future is going to look like with this part of me. But when I said yes to Jesus, when I made Jesus my king, my identity became Christ. And that is the umbrella that covers all of the rest of me. That is the thing that is above every other part of who I am because I made Jesus my king. This may still be a piece of me, but this is my identity. Listen, we all have feelings that we ought not act on, whether it is greed or anger or desire. We all, as Christians, need to love Jesus, chase after Jesus more than we love our desires. I can't change how I feel, but I can control what I do. The Bible has a consistent message about our sexual behavior. In Genesis, God gives his design that sex is a gift for a man and a woman who are married. Right in the beginning, God's design. In Exodus, God says to his people that he expects faithfulness in marriage. In Leviticus chapters 18 and 20, there are some very detailed descriptions, awkward, about sexual behaviors that God prohibits. Like you can be all by yourself in a room reading it to yourself in your head and still be like, I cannot believe God said these things. It is uncomfortable reading. And in the midst of those lists, are prohibited same-sex sexual relationships. In Romans chapter 1, it talks about how the depravity of man, the evil that lives within us, takes us on this spiral that takes us farther and farther away from God as we pursue and give in to sin. And in the midst of that description, it talks about men and women who exchange God's design and pursue instead same-sex sexual relationships. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, here's what it says. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. 
Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This passage clearly, simply tells me there are certain behaviors God says no to. And it also clearly tells me it doesn't matter who I am or what I've done, anything that I've been a part of, Jesus can clean me up from. Hope and conviction right there. So then people say, well, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say about this issue? You know this is all God's word, right? Not just Jesus' words, all of it is God's word. Do we think Jesus would disagree with the rest? But what did Jesus say? Well, in Matthew and in Mark, Jesus upholds, reaffirms God's design that sex belongs within a marriage between a man and a woman. Jesus says it too. And you know, the interesting thing about Jesus, when you read about him, when you study him, when you look at his life, he never really hesitated to like get in the face of the religious leaders and tell them what they had gotten wrong. He was pretty straightforward about it. And you know, with this issue, he never says, you all have been interpreting this too strictly. In this situation, when two people really love each other, when there's a deep commitment, then it's okay. He never says anything like that. In fact, his lack of comment on this specific issue would indicate the people of his day already had it right. They were already interpreting the law correctly or he would have corrected them. I know for some of you, this is really hard to hear. And while I am not ashamed of anything that is in that book, it is not easy to share. In the midst of the culture war and the lies of the culture, there are two big lies about this issue. One is that you have to make a choice. You have to choose either to pursue God and reject your identity or reject God and pursue your identity. It's one or the other. And I'm going to suggest to you this morning that there is a third way. A third way that says, I can acknowledge who I am, how I feel. I can be honest about that and real about that. And I can still then commit to my king. And more and more people, Christian people, are starting to speak out with their stories and say, this is a part of my life, but I am choosing obedience to my king. I am choosing to pursue God's way despite this part of me, despite what the world tells me. And we need to come alongside people who make that commitment because it is very hard and the world is gonna tell them over and over and over, you're kidding yourself. Make your choice. The other lie, which applies to everyone in this room, is that a romantic, physical, sexual relationship will be the pinnacle of your life. That you need to pursue it at all costs. Find that one special person, whoever it may be, and it's going to solve all your problems. 
It's going to fulfill all your insecurities. It's going to meet all your needs. Everything will be better after that. Listen, every idol makes that promise. Whether it is money or fame or beauty or power or sex. God has created all of us with a deep desire for intimacy, to be known and to know someone. But we need to seek our completeness and our healing in Jesus. Let me tell you one quick story, okay, and then I'll wrap this up. When my son was little, like three years old, you know, little, what he liked to do, we'd be in the car, he could unbuckle his own seatbelt, and what he liked to do when we'd pull into a parking space is unbuckle his seatbelt, get out of the car, and run. It didn't matter where we were, grocery store, library, mall, get out of the car and run. Now, I'm sure you can understand that this is not a good thing for a little person this big. Other drivers couldn't see him, right? In the church parking lot, man, people will do anything they can to get the best spot at the church parking lot. So this is dangerous for this little guy. I understood the danger, but in his little three-year-old brain, all he was doing was having fun. He didn't get it. He didn't get the destruction was, was in his way. He was just doing what a three-year-old would do. But being his exceptionally wise mom, I knew the parking lot is a dangerous place for a little person and big cars. So I told him, when you get out of the car, put your hand on the car and keep your hand on the car until I come to get you. And because he trusted me, he did. You have a father, not your dad. You have a father. A father who understands the dangers of sin better than your little human brain will ever understand it. And he says to you, I want to give you freedom within this boundary. Trust me. I have what's good for you. I want to give you the best life you can have, and that's a life with Jesus. Trust me and live your life within this boundary, freedom within the boundary, because I love you. Last big idea for this week. Committing to Jesus should influence how I think and how I act. Let me pray for us this morning, okay? Let's pray. Lord God, your word is so good. And our world is so broken. Thank you for being our hope. Thank you for coming alongside us. Thank you for not leaving us to figure it all out on our own. You are a good God. Over and over we see your goodness and your faithfulness. So help us to trust those attributes of you. Help us to trust you. Despite the messages of the world that are always contradicting you, help us to trust you to seek out truth and help us to support each other as we do that. I pray for these students 
I pray that these students would have deep love for you, that you would help them grow in their love for you, and that they would trust you, and that they would love you with their heart, their soul, their strength, and their minds, and that they would love others well. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org.